Welcome to Adding Fuel to the Hire, a podcast for hiring managers and job seekers across all types of dealerships. With over 20 years collective recruitment experience, Rowan, Tony and Phil draw upon their knowledge to help you navigate through the recruitment and job hunt process. For more information, head to our website, addingfueltothehire.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Adding Fuel to the Hire. I'm your host this week, Rowan Coe, and again, I have Tony and Phil with me this week, both of them. So how's it going, Tony? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. And Phil, how are you? Good, thank you. That's good. So as promised, uh, this is the second part of our uh, podcast on the um, salary trends of agricultural truck and earth-moving dealerships for the financial year 2019 and 20. So um, listen in, uh, some good uh, commentary there about uh, the positions that we've recruited and some good uh, general information as well. So enjoy the episode. Phil, let's jump back to you. Um, let's talk about service advisors. So uh, service advisors, you know, we we probably don't see a lot of these positions. Um, it is, you know, ag dealerships don't really have a lot of service advisors. It's more of a truck thing uh, and automotive, obviously. Um, tell us about service advisors and what you've seen. Yeah, we've actually seen, I'd say we have, we've had a little less this last year than the year before, or at least it's felt like that. I'd have to check the numbers. Um, but, um, look, a good service advisor is, is, is still in high demand. Um, finding a good service advisor is, isn't easy. Um, I've actually seen a lot of, uh, new warranty roles come up as well. Um, mm. they seem to be, be splitting those a lot now. Um, I know I've talked to a lot of guys who've said, um, um, you know, yes, I'm a service advisor, but I also do warranty, uh, claims quite a lot of the time. Um, so it seems like warranties become part of that. That being said, um, look, <sighs> Service advisors, it's one of those roles where you've seen people who get paid $50,000 a year and then you've heard of some people who are just guns and they've been in the role for a while, they know exactly what they're doing, all the customers know them and all the customers love them and they're on 75 k um, So there's quite a disparity there. In terms of metro areas, generally speaking, you'll want to pay at least 60 k as a base. Um, I recently placed someone who um, moved from an automotive dealership over to a truck dealership and um, his base was $65,000 at the truck dealer. Um, with a bonus system, he should be getting up to about $80,000 a year. So um, I've seen that most roles now incorporate these bonus systems, uh, particularly for service advisors. Yeah. Um, look, at the end of the day, they're the first point of contact for the customer. And um, if you can give them those, those incentives to, you know, just give that little, go that little extra mile for the customer, um, they'll, they'll be the face of your company really for you. And I think we mentioned this last year as well, but increasingly we're still seeing a lot of those truck dealers or, or any dealership really looking at automotive dealerships to find good service mm. advisors because they've, you know, forever have been, you know. Um, Pinnacle of customer service. Exactly, yeah. 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 It's, it's all about customer service. Yeah. And, and truck dealerships, you know, the, it's probably been a bit more technical. Uh there's, I think there's, there should be a bit more of a balance there. So, you know, looking towards those automotive mm. service advisors as potential candidates for a truck service advisor role yeah. is a definite positive. You know, yeah. you've got that person who can really build the rapport, could give really good service, not to mention some of the manufacturers are now are pushing that CSI score system on, yeah. onto uh, truck brands as well. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with service advisors, I like to think of it as, um, you know, there's, there's two parts to it, particularly in truck dealerships. You've got the technical side of it that you can learn. And then there's something that I like to call the hustle that is hard to teach. 
Um, a lot of people who've survived in automotive dealerships have, have got the hustle. It's that, you know, you go in at six o'clock every single day and it starts and it just doesn't stop until 5.30 on that day. Mm. But they've just, they've not stopped. They haven't complained or anything. It's just been quick, go, 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 go. And it's that innate ability to move really, really quickly and process things really, really quickly while still giving great customer service and still working really well with all the technicians. Um, there's a certain hustle about it where, you know, you're spinning all the plates and you're keeping everything in motion until the end of the day. Um, so to me, there's always those two parts about it. And I found, particularly with automotive service advisors, yes, okay, they're not, they're not um, you know, master technicians on trucks, um, but they've got that other side of it. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's uh, let's jump into parts interpreters, Tony. Yeah, um, so talk about that. I think going back twelve months, I said that I suppose regionally as well, but also a lot of metro areas, fifty five k was the bare minimum. Um, that has definitely shifted again. Um, I know we spoke about this twelve months ago, and I said that parts interpreters were um, by far the fastest increasing. Uh, I suppose, trend that we saw in, in terms of salaries um, in the 12 months leading up to that. And, and same things continued again. I think for a long time, the parts department was uh, falling behind and now it's finally catching up. Um, and you hear all the time, you know, hard part, you know, good parts people are hard to find. So bare minimum now, I'd say 60K. There are regional dealers out there that can get away with less than that. But I've had a couple of placements, for example, around that 58 59k mark, but 60 is really where you're going to be looking out to find most of your staff. Um, but then you, you start shifting into Metro, Brisbane, and, and Adelaide. Those you know cheaper um, or cost of living's cheaper, I suppose. 65 is a minimum, but we've had Sydney and Melbourne. I think I've placed a number of people in both of them around 75 to 78k. Um, so significant jumps to where they were, you know, a few years ago. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, 60 is your minimum up to kind of 75, depending on metro or regional. But um, yeah, if you're paying below 60, yeah, unless you're going to headhunt someone from a competitor and match what they're on, um, you're really going to struggle. And how have you seen availability of candidates in uh, in the parts interpreter side of things? Yeah, same again. Um, really strong throughout the first half of the year. There's that fear of redundancies again hanging over people, but um, definitely haven't seen a drop off anywhere near as badly as uh, as elsewhere. There's been a lot of redundancies as well from a lot of OEMs. Um, so there's definitely parts interpreters out there at the moment. But um, yeah, once again, I think uh, as a unit, they're becoming a lot more self-aware of their worth um, and gone are the days. Like when I started focusing on parts people two years ago, um, you know, most were happy with 55K, uh, whereas now I think people's awareness of what they can get out there has changed and, and every day it's, you know, at least 60, at least 65, at least 70. So it's definitely trending up all the time. Yeah, definitely. All right, Uh I'll talk about sales consultants because that's another area that I focus on and is the sales department and um, seen a huge increase in sales roles that we've worked on over the last 12 months. Um, I remember five years ago, uh, sales roles uh, were just as hard as technicians yeah, uh, yeah. for us because yeah. I, I didn't think we really had the database of sales candidates at the time. So 12, 12 months ago, we hadn't had any sales roles really. Yeah, it, it was so. hard to find them, but um, we've we've worked hard to build that. Mm. Um, and so now I think we've got about 500 sales consultants on our books, which, yeah. is, which I'm pretty proud of. So as a result of that, you know, we have filled quite a few. We've worked on quite a lot. So I've got a pretty good picture of what's uh, happening in the market for sales consultants at dealerships at the moment. So in terms of agricultural dealerships, um, 
you know, they're sort of continuing around the same. I would say on average you're probably looking at a base around 55 to 65 and that will depend. So there's, um, you know, some will pay less than that and include a uh, guaranteed commission element yeah. but others will pay more. I think if you've got to pay at least 55 as a base uh, plus commissions on top of that. Uh, anything less than that, you're really going to struggle to get somebody to move from another dealership. And ideally that's what these um, dealers want is somebody who's worked in these roles yeah. somewhere else at their competitor. You know, you've got to have something to entice them over and generally it's the base because the pipeline's going to take a while to rebuild. Yep. So, yeah, 55 to 65 plus the commission package. In agricultural dealerships, it's usually a percentage of GP on the product sold. So it might be 10%, 9%, somewhere around there. That's sort of where we see it, around that 9 or 10%. Uh, company vehicle, phone, laptop, they're always included in all of these roles. It's tools of trade. You've got to travel to meet clients, so that's all included. So, yeah, somewhere around that sort of 55, 60 uh, plus incentives. With the incentives, these guys are probably earning sort of anywhere between 90 and, I don't know, 150 or more yeah. in some cases. Uh, generally, a dealer will say to me, well, if they're not earning 110, they're not paying their way. Yep. You know, they're not making me enough money. So generally we get a pretty good understanding of where these candidates uh, are going to sit with their overall earning yep. um, by talking to the client there. In, term of, in terms of truck dealerships, um, those bases have increased a little bit. Um, now I'd probably say 60K is the absolute minimum in a regional yeah. area and 70K at least in a, in a metro, uh, maybe even more in Sydney and Melbourne where you've got a bit more competition. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, in terms of those bases, they have increased Again, tools of trade, vehicle, everything all included there and incentive package. All these roles are heavily incentivized. Obviously, that's what you want to encourage your salespeople to sell. Uh, so, yeah, again, with truck sales, they they generally will have a higher uh, OTE uh, package. Probably I would say it would be at least 110 plus yep. um, because, you know, they're selling a bit more higher volume than the ag guys. Yeah. In terms of equipment dealerships, these ones are a little bit different. They tend to pay a higher base and less incentive yep. rather than a lower base and higher incentive. So we've sort of seen this one previously around the 70K mark as a base, but I, I think it's really pushing 80 now, yeah. um, and maybe even 90 uh, for some roles, depending on the equipment that you're selling. Yep. Some of these equipment, some of this equipment can take a long time to deliver. So, you know, it can be a long lead time, which is why these bases are higher. And generally the commission structures for those roles are paid as a percentage of um, the purchase price or revenue rather than the actual profit. So, um, so yeah, that's that's what we've seen in sales. Um, a big uptake uh, in using our services to find those people because we have had such good success with those people and our database has grown. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's some pretty accurate figures in there as to what we've seen over the last 12 months. Um, service manager, I think, is uh, the last one there last to one talk left. about. <laughs> so, Phil, <laughs> why don't you talk to us about some of the service management roles that you've uh, or what you've seen in service management vacancies over the last 12 months? Yeah, um, look, there's a lot of good service managers around. Um, there's a lot of good service managers around that are looking for or open to looking at a new role. Um, Salary-wise, look, in metro areas, you're looking at at least $100,000 as a base plus a vehicle. Um also, same as parts managers, if you are looking to put someone on, you need a vehicle now. Um, not having a vehicle, is, 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 you, you're, you're missing out, basically. Um, it's pretty much expected. It's it's called tools of the trade, you know. 
Um, that's just what it is. Um, same as a phone and a laptop. Um, but, you know, um, the vehicle is really what you want. Can uh, I just cut you off there for a second? I just was thinking because a lot of people might not understand why, you know, I haven't had a vehicle in the past. Why do I have to do it now? Um, regards to the obvious element of, you know, the monetary impacts of having a vehicle, one of the biggest downsides of not offering a vehicle is it shows the candidate that, um, you know, there's not going to be any contact with customers. You're going to be office bound yeah. or you're going to be workshop bound. And so not even having the vehicle to begin with is going to really decrease applications because it's just going to show that you're going to be stuck here. You're not going to be getting out there and being a selling point for the business, which detracts from so many uh, that's so right. many interested parties. That's right. Yeah, that's it. So um, the vehicle is there just for reference for anyone who's wondering, the vehicle is there for you to be able to go out and see customers. Um yeah, it's it, it's a big one. Plus, candidates like having the vehicle so they can travel to and from work. Um, by the way, if you offer a vehicle and then decide that they can only drive it for work purposes, as in they're not allowed to drive it to and from home, then you're also missing out. Just let them drive it home. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's one of the big ones. Um, look, I've seen... Uh, particularly in metro areas, I've seen those salaries go up to 120k now, and um, I've seen them go up to 120k in agricultural dealerships as well in more regional areas. Um, the tougher the location, the higher the salary has to be. If you've got a tough location and you're only offering 70k, you've just made it a whole lot tougher for yourself. Um, a lot of service managers want the challenge. Um, they want the challenge of a busy department. That they want the challenge of a disorganised department a lot of the time because they like coming in and giving customers new confidence and giving um, the department structure. So um, giving them a, a, a decent salary of, I would say, at least if you're in a regional area, you would have to pay at least 95 to 100K um, just to be competitive. Um, I have seen as low as sort of 65, um, which is not where you want to be. Um, but generally speaking, in a regional area, I would recommend going up to about the 95 to 100K mark. And I would also recommend giving a bonus system of um, look, usually the, the the most common one I've seen is just a percentage of gross profit of the department. Um, basically, that way the service manager feels like, all right, whatever I'm putting in, I'm getting out. Yeah, and I think with service managers, they're becoming a you know, collateral to the whole rising pay rates of technicians. Um, you've yeah. got to when you're considering what you're going to pay your service managers, you have to think, you know, is this enough to entice people to get off the tools and work in this role, or are they just going to go well? You know, I'll stay on the tools and I'll get paid you know, yep. more than the service manager. Yeah. So I've seen that as well where the service manager was actually getting paid less than any of the technicians because the technicians are the highest paid people um, just because of their scarcity. So um, make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, and consider, um, you know, everything like overtime and that kind of thing. Because a lot yeah. of times we'll, we've heard, I know you've said it to me multiple times, where service managers will actually get paid less purely because the technicians are getting paid overtime and the service managers on salary. So, yeah, um, yeah look right. internally and review that because yeah. that's going to really... Uh, yeah, it's not enough to say, oh, but they're only on $35 an hour, so they're technically only making $70,000 a year. Really, they're making $95,000 a year because of all the overtime and weekend work they're doing and the service managers on a salary of 80 k um, so it just, it doesn't, that it just doesn't work. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that's great about talking about those positions. I guess let's, um, finish up by just covering off on a couple of general things that we've seen throughout the year, uh, with coronavirus, uh, you know, things are starting to, you know, it's a little bit uncertain now, but you know, it's yeah. starting <laughs> to look good. Uh, you know, it, 
Well, we are going to get to a point where the job market will heat up again and people are going to be more savvy. They're going to want more security. Yep. Candidates are going to want more security because they've seen what can happen yeah. uh, mm. now with this. So I think employers are um, have really started to switch on to think, okay, we really need to think about a little bit more about you know, why, why would somebody want to work here uh, and attracting that best talent. I mean, we ran a series of webinars um, during coronavirus to help our clients and we had some really good feedback from those because the topics were around that. Yeah. It was better job marketing. It was interviewing process and how to make that more smooth and keeping candidates engaged. And then we also talked about retaining staff and, and, um, you know, attracting them as well. So, um, I think employers are starting to realize that that is more important or is becoming important. Uh, so I think that will continue in the next 12 months as well. Yeah, hundred percent. I think if once you know your salaries are on on trend or uh, in the market, then you have to ask yourself the next question. As Rowan said, it's you know let's assume we've yeah three companies are all offering the same money. Why would someone pick us over someone else? And if you can't yeah. answer that question, then you really need to sit down as a team and figure that out. What that answer is, um, because if you don't have that, I think moving forward, particularly when we do see a jobs a hiring boom, um, you're really going to struggle to to set yourself apart. Yeah, that's right. And I think what's important to note is that um, in January, just before everything went a little bit bad, um, <laughs> we had, I believe, the busiest December ever. It was flat out, and um, we had a lot of jobs. There was a lot of people moving, so I'm hoping we can carry that confidence back into the end of the year and uh, hopefully pick up where we left off. That would be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that positive note, uh, let's uh, let's end it there. And, um, yeah, we thank you for your time this week and thank you, Tony and Phil, and we'll uh, catch up with everybody again next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Adding Fuel to the Hire. If you have any questions or you'd like to hear us talk about a particular topic, why not send us an email at podcast at addingfueltothehire.com. If you like what we do and would like to support our podcast, please leave a review on your podcasting app of choice. For further information, please visit our website, addingfueltothehire.com.